0: Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. To be the bearer of God's word of repentance is a holy, horrifying thing. That's the only idea I want to talk about today, not because it's that hard to understand, but because it is that hard to live. Being the bearer of God's word of repentance means that our lives are always in a tension, a tension between the holiness of what we are called to do, to speak God's word of repentance to others, and the horror of what we actually have to say, because that call can sometimes be quite a horrifying thing. And there are some Christians who try to get rid of the tension, and they do it in one of two ways. On the one hand, they can overemphasize the holiness of what they're doing to the point where they forget about the horror, or they can overemphasize the horror to such an extent that they run away from the holiness of what they're called to do. But not you. Not you, because you are baptized into Christ Jesus which means you are baptized into this tension that will always be there. Christ Jesus was the bearer of God's eternal Word. And when he cried out to the world to repent, the world cried out for his crucifixion. So there he hung rejected by the very people He was coming to save, abandoned by His disciples, forsaken by His Father. A rejected, abandoned, forsaken, dying dead, a horrifying thing. And yet that horrifying death was His most holy work, for He died for you. He was anointed, Christed for that work, and now he is risen, and he rules, and he brings you into that kingdom where he is Lord of the earth, and he sends you out as his mouthpiece to the world. And being the bearer of that word of repentance is always going to be a holy, horrifying thing. I'd like to consider that task this morning with the goal that you be encouraged to live in that tension. Now, I said there are some who can overemphasize the horror to the point where they forget about, I mean overemphasize the holiness to the point where they forget about the horror. And that, I think, could be very true of us, especially with a text like this this morning. I mean, think about that text. Here we have Amos, who has preached against Israel, has actually named the king, and now he's standing before Amaziah. And Amaziah is offering him a compromise, an unholy compromise, but a compromise nonetheless. I mean, Amaziah is not trying to entrap Amos. Amaziah is not trying to arrest Amos. Amaziah is offering him escape. He has sent a message to Jeroboam, telling Jeroboam what Amos is saying, but now he says to Amos, go, flee, you seer. Go back to Judah. Prophesy there. Eat your bread there, but don't come back here. Don't prophesy at Bethel." because this is the king's temple, and this is a temple of the kingdom. And Amaziah's unholy compromise basically limits the Word of God, right? It relegates the Word of God to being appropriate to some backwater southern kingdom, but not to Israel. It says, you know, you can preach that stuff in your church, just don't take it out into the world. That's the unholy compromise, but Amos stands up for the Lord. (laughs) Amos realizes he's not speaking for a king like Jeroboam. Amos is speaking for Yahweh, who is king of all. He's not limited to the temple where he chooses to reside. No, he is Lord over all of the earth, including Judah, including Israel, including all of the nations. And so Amos says, you say to me, you say to me, do not prophesy in Israel. Well, thus Yahweh says to you, Your wife will be a prostitute in the city. Your children will die by the sword. You yourself will die in an unclean land, and Israel will go away from its land into exile. Thus says the Lord. And those words, those words stir the Lutheran Orthodox blood. (laughs) I mean, these are strong words of a strong prophet who's preaching the strong law of the Lord. And sometimes we would want to preach that strong law to an unbelieving world. Sometimes we delight in the holiness of these words so much that we forget the horror of what he is saying. I mean, who hasn't wanted to really tell somebody off in the name of the Lord, right? I mean, there's some people I'd like to say, I'd like to say, you know, your wife is going to be a prostitute in the city and your children are going to buy it out of the sword. Thus says the Lord. Some days I'd like to say that to more than one person (laughs) and enjoy it, right? I mean, telling people off in the name of the Lord, it's great, especially when those people have made you angry, because what you can do is you can mask your anger at them as if it's some righteous zeal. And people will say, wow, listen to him, Rambo, pastor. You preach it, pastor. You preach it. I'm glad somebody's preaching it like it is. I'm glad somebody's preaching the law. I'm glad somebody's telling this, divorce-loving, Christian-hating, homosexual-harboring, baby-killing nation, what's what. You preach it, pastor. You preach it like Amos. Yeah, we're holy, all right. It's just not the holiness of God. because we've forgotten all about the horror. And we're preaching out of anger, not out of love. And the law is never hate speech. It's actually the language of love. You preach it because you are concerned about your neighbor and you actually want them, you want them to be saved. Now, we don't really see that about Amos in this text, I'll admit that, but it's there. If you were to read the rest of Amos, in fact, if you were just to go back a few verses and look at the first two visions he had, you'd see that Amos knew the horror of what he had to say and that Amos loved those people. Amos had a a vision from God of a swarm of locusts that was going to come in and destroy the land, and particularly at that time that it would kill both the early and the late harvest, agricultural devastation. And then Amos had a worse vision, a vision where there is this fire that is burning, so great that it's actually burning up the waters of the deep, and that fire is ravaging onto the land. And what does Amos do when he has those visions? Does Amos say, wow, look what they're going to get this Sunday? No. Amos actually talks back to God. Amos says, oh Lord God, please, please forgive. How can Jacob stand? He, he is so small. Amos sees the righteousness of God's anger, and he sees the unrighteousness of Israel, but he also sees the horror of this judgment, and he prays to God that God would have mercy, even as he proclaims the law to the people, holding together the holiness of what he's called to do, to call these people to repent that they might be saved, and the horror of what he's saying, calling out to God to forgive. And when you hold together the holiness and the horror, you find yourself there at the heart of God. You find that your language actually sounds a lot like Jesus, who when he was crucified, was praying for the very people who were killing him. And you have been baptized into that man, you have been brought by grace into that mission. This one who now rules the world is calling you to bear that word of repentance that people might be saved. Now, there are some people who overemphasize the holiness to the point where they forget about the horror, but there's also the other end of the spectrum. There's those who can emphasize the horror so much that they forget about what they're called to do. They're actually tempted to not say anything, at least I know I am. I remember a time when I almost walked away from preaching that word of repentance. I was uh, having dinner with a friend of mine. I had stood up at his wedding and he was now telling me that uh, he had been separated from his wife and he was about to get a divorce. Now, I could tell you the things that his wife did, things that to this day still make me angry. But when I I called my friend and asked permission to tell this story, he said I could as long as I didn't dishonor his wife's name. (laughs) You see, he's still married, and now he's standing up And protecting her name. But at the time, at the time, it was different. At the time, he was dragging her name through the mud. He was visiting all of his closest friends, telling them his story, and gathering support, because he was about to make one of the biggest decisions of his life. He was about to get a divorce. And he told me how awful the marriage was, and he told me how great his friends were, how much they had supported him and cared for him, and how necessary this was at this time. And as he was talking, I was getting kind of sick to my stomach because I knew that I was going to have to say something different, and I didn't want to. I mean, this is my friend, right? I I don't want to risk that friendship. And besides, I mean, everyone else is encouraging him, right? And, and, uh, you know, I mean, couldn't you say that the divorce had actually already happened? I mean, they're separated. The papers are just a formality, just signing those things, right? Or or wouldn't the Christian thing to do be just to care for him and support him and love him and tell that God would love him anyway? Or wouldn't better yet, wouldn't the Christian thing to do be to just not say anything, just shut up and listen, and then pray about it on your own? Well, that's about what I did until God graciously gave me this vision of how horrible things could be. I don't remember exactly what he said, but my friend looked around the bar, and he saw the women, and he said something to the effect of, you know, it's great to be single, because I can be with any one of them. And then I knew what I had to say. I I couldn't look him in the eye, so I looked down at my burger, (laughs) and I said, you know, you made a promise. And he said, what? and my burger suddenly became very interesting. (laughs) I said, you made a promise, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, you made a promise to her and to God. And that was the beginning of another round of beer, of more conversation, but more importantly, the beginning of the work of God in his life calling him back from sin, so that today he stands next to his wife, trying to honor her name while I stand here and tell you this story. I didn't realize it at the time, but I realize it now. That was one of the things, just one, one of the things that I was baptized for, to be the bearer of God's word of repentance to my friend, and it was a holy, horrifying thing. I thought to myself, who am I, you know, who am I to be saying this kind of stuff, (laughs) right? I wasn't a prophet. I wasn't a prophet's son. I'm just a herdsman. I'm a tender of sycamore figs, the guy that slits the fruit so that the insects get out and the meat becomes all sweet and succulent. You know, that guy, yeah, that's me. (laughs) I'm not the guy to be saying these holy things of God, and yet God has called you, baptized you, raised you and saved you and sent you forth as He now rules this world. But you say, well, I don't don't want to appear holier than thou, saying this kind of stuff. I don't want to be holier than thou. Well, come on. Who could be holier than thou? (laughs) When you look at what you are and what you've done to God, we're never holier than thou. We're always lowlier than thou, because we know that we are nothing apart from God but God in Christ creates out of nothing. He baptizes you and makes you a new creature, and you begin to speak of that new creation. And yes, it is holy, and yes, it is horrifying, but ultimately it is His, His battle for His creatures, so that there will never be anyone who goes so far away from God, never anyone who wanders so far from the path that there will not be someone, a voice, a child, a parent, someone calling them home. And when the world stops coming to church, which is pretty much what has happened, When the world stops coming to church, God sends the church out into the world, and so you find yourself a foreigner in a strange land. (laughs) You're a Judean shepherd or herdsman standing there in the temple of Israel. You're a friend sitting at a bar. You're a child talking to a parent, and yet you are a spokesperson for God, bearing a holy, horrifying word that is His, His Word for His world, to do His work of bringing about repentance so that His days of refreshing may fully and finally come. And until that time, until that time, we're always going to live in the tension, holding together the holiness and the horror, because ultimately that's how we live in Him. Amen.